Hello and welcome to True Crime People and Places, the podcast where we explore the world of true crime from an academic and personal perspective. I'm Linda Sage, a criminal psychologist with over four decades of experience working with some of the most dangerous individuals in the world. This is a fairly new podcast and we are developing the systems and growing our audience. So we appreciate your support and feedback. This podcast may contain discussions of violence, murder, sexual assault and other topics related to true crime. Listener discretion is advised. If you are sensitive to these topics, please be aware that this podcast may be triggering you. If at any time you feel overwhelmed or distressed, please take a break and seek support from a mental health professional or support organisation. Hi and a very warm welcome back to the podcast. I'm Linda Sage and this is True Crime People and Places and we're now in our second uh, series starting off. So uh, the past we've been looking at um, who I am, what I've done and as an introduction but also we've been looking at stalking. So going on from this we're really taking into consideration now domestic um abuse that really leads on to domestic murder now there's a lot in the papers about all sorts of things going on and people um being accused of all sorts of things within positions of power and the police and all over the place so it's a topic that uh, we do hear a lot about um violence against women and girls and yes, it is predominantly uh, the victim is female and the perpetrator is male, but by no means is it all that way. It is uh, vice versa. So sometimes, especially the male part of the victims find it even harder to speak up than the female victims do. And they're not very good at it. So getting this through and also the justice system with this within this seems really horrendously hard on the victim to get together the evidence and then go through and be um cross-examined in the in the courtroom it's a very very hard way of finding some sort of justice and being able to you know, sometimes put things behind you and move on and others that you know it just does go on for so long so it's something that I think needs looking at more um finding ways and thoughts especially from you if you you've got thoughts on this I'd love to hear from you about um how this could actually be stopped uh, there's people out there doing a lot of good work they're uh, supporting victims but until I started looking into this I didn't even know that funding for uh, stalking for example uh, here in West Yorkshire all of the funding is basically for domestic stalking so th those of uh, people that have been affected by stranger stalking it doesn't come into it and there's also uh, uh, stringent uh, uh, guidelines on you know have they been in um, a relationship for so long uh, um, or does that not come into a relationship stalking so it's never it's never simple and also uh, 
just last week I was at um, a symposium at West Yorkshire Police. Um, they were looking at internal, um, especially offences and domestic abuse and uh, stalking and abuse of power and things like this. And it's very interesting to see that they actually are moving quite well on this. Whereas it, when you look in the newspaper, even recently, that uh, this isn't always the case in uh, all of the constabularies. So uh, it's an area that I'm going to be looking into a bit more and hopefully uh, getting some guests along to have a chat about this as well. So I wanted to start off today looking at the um, the tiers of domestic violence that progress to murder, because there are telltale traits, but people, and I think I've talked about this before, you know, especially like with coercive control behaviour and things like this, narcissistic behaviour, these people can be very, very nice, and they usually are in the first part of a relationship. And this is why the, the victim holds on to their niceness. No matter how bad it gets, somewhere along the line, they were nice, and so they can be again. And it's it's quite amazing that uh, you know, everything that goes on afterwards doesn't seem to retract from the horrible they people want to remember the good i think as as humans we're sort of that way we will remember happy memories and no matter how bad things were in time that they heal and although we can you know talk about them we don't have the the intense emotion that we had at the time of it happening so I sat down and sort of put my, my head into gear because obviously I've been working with perpetrators for over 40 years now. And there are similarities. There are um, points where you could actually say that things are changing, things are progressing. And even pre-relationship, you know, people are being, kids are being brought up in toxic relationships. They are being brought up in violent households where uh, parents or significant others, even older brothers and sisters as well here, have addictions, whether it's um, drugs or alcohol or some, you know, something like this, but it influences them because when they're significant to the, the child, this is what they know about. So standing outside and we're saying oh you know that um it's it's not the way uh to bring up a child but when you're in it that's your life you don't know any different and nine times out of ten the people that you will bring to you as friends will be living in a similar uh, environment to you so when you are talking about your home or when you're talking about your your brothers and sisters and things like this as you're younger very often there will be similarities because this is what binds the friendships. You know, it's very difficult to make a friendship with somebody that's completely out of your social or um, uh, uh, location sphere. So usually this then has knock-on effect. And I think this has been shown quite a lot, uh, especially um, in the last year when I worked through schools, that uh, young people knowing the difference between um, a toxic relationship and a healthy relationship is quite staggering. That uh, things that we know that um, automatically raise awareness, but they think that it's normal because it goes on all the time around them. So the predisposition 
could already be there. And if you first meet somebody, finding out um, about them, very often they don't talk much about themselves. They'll ask you a lot of questions. And lots of people think, oh, this is really nice because most people don't ask a lot about you. They, they want to find out, but there's a method to their madness because they're very good at collecting information. And this information that they're collecting, they will be using as weapons that will be storing information for a later date and also if they've had previous criminal history they don't need to have been been caught or been through the justice system but if they talk about um committing crimes at a young age then it also means that perhaps it's already skewed their um their right from wrong you know they're they're looking at the social norms that are acceptable and not acceptable so there are traits there very early on that before you are emotionally involved then it's easier to break these ties because once you are hooked and you're emotionally involved it's very very hard to to make a um, a move also you know what are the, what are they interested in do they do they have uh friends and um ties with family and things like this very often they seem quite isolated or perhaps they've moved around a lot so it's about finding out and looking at it in a logical perspective you know going into um, a romantic relationship uh, is a bit like going you know you're going to be given a lot of your time a lot of your life so going in and finding out and doing your background work it isn't hard it's it's not you know a harsh way of looking at things it's a reality that you know has has this happened before has he had you know bad relationships does he blame everybody else for his relationships that have broken down before that should be a red flag and very early on you should be able to pick that up quite easily the early part of the relationship very often i get told even uh, Levi Be uh, Bellingfield, who was the monster, you know, uh, killer, uh, even his girlfriends said at the beginning of relationships, he was very charming. He was, he was very affable. Even Colin Sutton, when he was interviewing him, said that he could go from being very charismatic to being absolutely horrendous. So they have the capability of being very charming, um, good to be with, caring, but sometimes, um, this can be finely veiled in, with jealousy or controlling behaviour that they can manipulate a way for a victim, especially for the younger people these days. If you're talking about, it never happened in my day, of course, because uh, we didn't have internet. <laughs> That's how far it goes back. But, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot is if, oh, if you're going somewhere, let me just put you on um snap map so that i can see that you get there safely um but then that's on their their phone that's you're under their control their observation they will know exactly where you go and you know when you're going so it's a form of control again that starts with the possessiveness and uh, about perhaps the way that you talk about the way you walk the way you wear your hair the clothes so all of this can start emerging but it could be done in a way that you think oh they're actually being nice they're they're trying to look after me they're trying to protect me but they are red flags you know it really is a sign and 
in the early days of your relationship, it's your easiest time to get out of it. Now, I have said about uh, romantic relationships, but of course, uh, these sort of relationships aren't just um, romantic relationships. They can be co-worker relationships. They can even be neighbours or people around you. So um, I don't think you know, there's one specific word or title that covers this in its entirety because domestic domestic seems to be you know at home but of course your boss a co-worker there are lots of instances where you know things have gone drastically wrong with with co-workers and things like this so think about it in all forms of relationships not just in the romantic ones as well and again if it's uncomfortable, if it makes you feel wrong, because most of us do have gut feelings, but we make excuses or uh, we stop thinking about it. We say, oh, it's just us. You know, it's just the way I am. I'm, I'm just thinking about that wrong. Oh, it's a coincidence. It really isn't. It really is time. And I think this is one of the things that I have learned more than anything. Uh, talking to uh, victims, talking to police talking to support workers but people leave it so long to actually escalate and report the stalking um domestic violence and um, abuse anything like this people leave it uh, so long that it's really progressed in that time so if you have these feelings they are right please listen to them and uh, then get yourself out because that's your best time because this relationship is not going to go anywhere good. It really is, you know, you need uh, help, support from somewhere to actually then be able to conquer this type of relationship. And as it progresses, the third tier really comes into general phase of relationships. So you sort of settled into a relationship and the, this uh, stage is usually where the bu uh, abusive behavior becomes more pronounced. So the abuser is exerting more power and control. Um, they know more about you. Um, very often they've already got you uh, living together or if it's a, a work, you know, they, they're sort of more in control of uh, your your work or they're becoming you know, overly involved in your life. So all of this could be emotional, it could be verbal, it could be psychological abuse, and it makes an atmosphere uh, feel toxic. And I heard from an awful lot of people that this is a, a time when they, they start walking on eggshells because they don't know what is going to be you know, causing problems. And it could, and, and no two days are the same. You know, one time it could be really nice, uh, I've even worked with perpetrators that they will um, talk about themselves in the third person as if this this horrible person is called Fred. And uh, when Fred's about, oh, you know, Fred's having a bad day, but it's giving up personal responsibility. You know, they are that person, but they want to hide behind other things to get away with the things that they want to be getting away with. So the fear, the anxiety and the sense of entrapment uh, makes it hard from even this stage to start coming out of a relationship, especially if there's children involved and things like this. So, But it is a phase you really need to be thinking about getting some, some help and support for yourself because the longer you are here, 
the harder it is going to become and the worse you are going to feel. I spoke a little bit just now about triggers and literally these can be anything. It doesn't mean to uh, say it has to, it's the same thing every time because it is not, you know, one day you can serve eggs and it's absolutely fine. The next day you serve eggs and it's a catastrophe. So the triggers are the catalyst. So it intensifies behavior. But because you don't ever know what it is, this is where I said before about you know walking on eggshells and being really worried about what's happening. And so many people have said to me that you know this is such so emotionally and psychologically hard to live with, even if they are not physically abusive. You know, they people really don't know what to do for the best, so they start hiding their own feelings. They start. Um, being very aware of what they're doing for for everybody else and it's a really hard life to live you know it, it it's very toll taking on the victim so they can have all sorts of things but stress uh financial stress can be one some sub, substance abuse or alcohol abuse is highly um featured in a lot of uh, abuse situations infidelity but it could be anything it could be just the way that you come in and put a bag down or you change a perfume or something like this it can be so simple and yeah a lot of the time they are remorseful uh afterwards and this is what makes people then think oh yes it was just a one-off and they start taking responsibility oh if i hadn't said this or i hadn't done that or if i'd done this a different way it wouldn't have happened Yes, it would, because the trigger would have been something else. So it's one of the things that, as the victim, you have no control over because you don't know what is going to be the trigger for them on that day, in that particular instant, and it is a huge burden to, to live under. Again, it's a time to make a move, to get out, to talk to somebody, to do something about it, because it's so important that the further this goes on, the more deadly it's going to become. The escalation of, of tension and abusive behaviours become more frequent and severe. So if they were before verbally abusive, it will come to physical abuse perhaps or psychological abuse. So the escalation is always there. They're not going to stay where they are. They've pushed the boundaries to get to where they've already got to. You haven't reported them. You haven't left them. You haven't done something else. So they are know that they can push it even further. But this is also a critical time that if you do think about coming out of the situation, then it is a time to really get support because it is a dangerous situation because the... Um, the time that they have here um, is a time where they start changing their thinking. And this is where it can get incredibly dangerous and violent for uh, a lot of people involved. So the engagement of the victim's um, physical, mental well-being by this time is totally lost. Most people feel as if they've lost themselves, they've given up. Um, trying to look after themselves, they you know they don't make much of an effort. Um, the the abuser's sense of um, sense of entitlement 
and power is increasing in this stage. So they will already have isolated you. They will get rid of your friends, uh, maybe um, even stopped you, uh, people working and things like this, because it's all a way of control and uh, financial uh, abuse as well. So taking any way of... Um, escape for them they think that they're, they're cutting off all lines of possible ways of coming out of this so it is an incredible important time that if there's the escalation that you do something about it but with support because that is really important the perpetrators uh time of change of thinking when they um they experience a change when they begin to rationalize and justify their abusive behavior. They blame the victim, they deny their actions, and they minimize all the harm they are causing. This is a cognitive shift that reinforces their belief that violence is acceptable and a means of control. So it's a, it's a big step because now the remorseful part afterwards will not be there. They will not be apologising. They will not be trying to make amends. They will not be um, uh, trying to make you feel better or something like this after their outbursts because they have already started to justify in themselves, you deserve this, this is the right way of going. And it's a time when a victim really has no uh, standing in their, their mind at all. It's a time where they generate their power and they feel like they've absolutely dominated the, everything and everybody around them. So it is a particularly difficult time. And for them, that this is where plans start coming into being. So they start looking at um, making plans about what they want to do next. So it's become entrenched in justifying their actions. So when they start thinking about murder, now you might be very amazed that how high it is. You know, there's a up uh, in the 90s, nearly just under the 90s percent that perpetrators within abusive relationships do think about murder. Whether they go on to do it. Though our figures are still high, we're still looking um, in the uh, in England and Wales. Obviously, the figures for Scotland and Northern Ireland are different, but we're still looking at least two women a week, and this is huge numbers. Yeah, there's still far too many people, women. And I said, as I said at the beginning of the, uh, this podcast, it's not just women, but the my majority of victims are male. And the majority of the perpetrators are, sorry, the majority of the victims are female and the majority of the perpetrators are male. There are the other way around, but the uh, the figures are much less. You know, so we're talking, we're talking huge, single percentages figures for the males as the, the victims and say uh, up, um, up into the high percentages for the female victims so it unfortunately when we talk about it male victims seem to be forgotten or they they feel like they're forgotten because it's aimed at the female it's only because of the the numbers but it doesn't justify it happening to males either and men find it probably much harder to talk about than even the female victims do as well 
So when they are planning, they have this stage in um, involves meticulous strategizing. They will spend hours. You know, if you see a change of uh, way that they are, they might be sitting long time as if they're thinking or uh, making notes or doing things like gathering information. This stage, they could also be obtaining weapons. You know, if they start having an interest in collecting some form of um, knife or weapons or something like this, it is a telltale sign that they are already moving on into this type of um, thinking and planning and, you know, even becomes a fantasy that they want to uh, fulfill. So they're identifying potential of, uh, obstacles to carrying out their plan. So times and places and you know things that could get in the way. The abuser may also display a chilling calmness. So as I say, if they all of a sudden they're sitting reading a lot or they're sitting um, making notes or they're doing things that are uncharacteristic that they've ch they've changed in this because uh, an awful lot of people um, victims that I've spoken to particularly have said that before a major attack uh, uh, happened, that they seemed to think that the uh, relationship was going really well because things had calmed down, they seemed more affable, People, they seemed to be getting on better. And this was sort of the calm before the storm and then the final act of violence that was to follow. And of course, murder, uh, as I've said, two two women a week are uh, are dying with, uh, within the home environment. And tragically, this tier, the act of um, murder, and we're not talking here about uh, somebody breaking in and you know, attacking somebody like um, some of them. Th these are people that are uh, known to the vict uh, to the victim. So the abuser is usually driven by a distorted sense of power and control. So they, they have planned this and it carries out and it often uh, results in the loss of life. Um, Non-fatal strangulation now is um, a criminal offence, but it, it's a horrendous thing to, to go through, as well as everything else that's gone before that uh, up to a major incident. So... It devastates families. There's huge consequences for um, murder or even when it doesn't end in murder, the, the victim survives. You know, there, there's so much confusion. There's so much animosity. There's so much guilt and all sorts of things that you know are left in the aftermath of it. And for a lot of times, this is when a lot of the agencies get together and they actually look back and they can see these red flags and this is why i think it's important for people to realize that there is a like a ladder it, it is going it's not like a bit like snakes and ladders you know you go up one and maybe for a little while you come back down and then you move up the ladders again but this is a, a, a real escalation that moves from one to eight hopefully with intervention that it can start uh stop before that but it's not happening quick enough. So the progression of domestic violence, understanding it is really crucial. And I think it's one of the things that um, we don't address enough and we don't really look at even in the beginning. And especially if you are in a relationship and your friends and family and people that you care for 
are saying, oh, you know, I don't think he's really with it, or does he treat you? Yeah, we get on our high horses and we're like, oh, yeah, no, he's fine. You don't understand. He's not like that when he's with me. Yeah. But maybe these people are seeing something that through those kinds of glasses, we don't actually see. So it's an important time that in the new part of a relationship, you know, I'm not saying that all your friends, families or things like this have to be on board, but it will help that if you're getting those sort of signals from different people, then it's worth actually taking into account because um, they probably are looking after your best interests, even if you don't want to see them at the time. And recognising early warning signs, um, helping healthy relationships and the provision of support for victims. We can make this happen, but we don't, when people are, are just so blind sometimes, we, we have blinkers on and we just make excuses for people. And also we get the um, the bystander um, thing, support in a way, I'm just trying to think of the right word for it here, but, you know, if I very often hear, especially in a workplace, if one person is having a go at somebody else or they've been abusive, the rest of the people in the workplace don't say anything. They don't jump in. So just by opting out, you are empowering the perpetrator because they're thinking, oh, well, you're not saying anything. So it, it must be all right. You know, I, I am right in what I'm doing. So you're actually giving them momentum of doing this. So it's something I think that, you know, bystander uh, approval, really, that uh, you might not be thinking it, but um, it's it's there in your actions by not doing something else. So breaking this is very uh, important and hopefully, you know, stop these devastating outcomes of people dying on a regular basis. Society as a whole, we need to create a culture that rejects violence, and promotes empathy and provides necessary resources to support victims and prevent domestic murder. But we're not talking about an easy fix here. It's not going to happen overnight. What we have to do is be a little bit selfish and think, I need to think about this for me. If I'm in a position, whether at work, whether at home, whether um, neighbours, and I'm in a situation that it feels wrong to me, listen to your gut feeling and go with it. Because so many people looking back on hindsight say, oh, yes, you know, I did have warnings, but I didn't take a, I didn't listen to them. So I think if that's one of the things that we could come away with from here is to really listen to your own feelings and know if you've been brought up in a toxic relationship environment or you know, a home where there is violence. Yeah, just think that that is not a normal way of life. It's violence is never an answer to a situation, just escalates the situation. So hopefully somewhere in these eight tiers, people have got some idea about um, ways of opting out of bad relationships. And uh, we can have a look at, in this series. I'm going to be looking at each section and also the different areas of um violence within the home obviously there's different types of murder within in um domestic 
we're looking here at domestic violence, adult to adult, but it could be um, child murders, it could be whole family murders. There's all sorts of other things that are going on as well. So uh, we will be looking into them in further programs. So hopefully you will be joining me again. I'm Linda Sage, just in case uh, you didn't get it at the beginning. Uh, true crime, people and places has been my life for about 40 years. And I often say when I started out, we had no DNA, we had, uh, well, we did, but we didn't know about it. Uh, we had no computers, and uh, uh, basically we worked with uh, pieces of paper and pen. Lots have happened, lots of pro uh, progress, but uh, people are still people, and they still treat each other badly. So hopefully, um, with all the tools and all the knowledge that we do have, that perhaps we can make life a little bit easier too. I'd love to hear from you if you've got uh, any uh, quotes or any questions or anything that you'd like, uh, topics that you would like to hear. And don't forget, of course, uh, not only the uh, podcast, we also do the blog as well. So uh, usually on similar topics, but I'm going to be having guest um, bloggers as well uh, coming up very soon. So if you're interested, let me know. And uh, I'd love to have some contributions from other people as well. So for now, take care, look after yourself, and uh, I will be back with you again very soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to True Crime People and Places. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, please let us know. See you next time.